Welcome to Startup Climb, where we bring you interviews with startup founders. Through this podcast, we hope to go behind the curtains to find out where it all begins. This is an inside look on their journey, their struggles, and how they overcome adversity. On this episode, we have Ned Phillips, the CEO and co-founder of Bamboo. Bamboo is a fintech startup providing digital wealth solutions to financial institutions around the world. Welcome, Ned. So, hi Ned, can we get a little introduction about Bamboo and your team for those that might not know about your company? Yeah, sure, no, no, no problem. Um, so, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast, appreciate it. Um, so, you know, everyone always says, oh, you're a startup, as if, you know, the word startup kind of covers every firm in startup does the, you know, does the same thing, right? So, obviously, every firm is quite different. So, the simplest way to describe what we do is we build apps that help people save and invest, right? So everybody wants to save enough money for retirement or buying a house or a goal, right? right? And more and more, they're going to do it digitally, right? They, there's going to be an app that helps them save and invest. And we design and build those apps, and we sell those apps to banks, you know, you know, financial institutions, insurance companies, asset managers. So we, we're a B2B. So we design and build software, to be used by other large financial institutions. Um, we're a four-year-old company based in Singapore, 70 people, three and a half years. We've been around almost four years. Right. So um, how do you first conceptualize the idea of starting Bamboo? Like, I think going B2B for a financial product um, might be slightly different than the other financial products out there. Like, there are a lot of robo-advisors that are more catered to consumer banking or like, uh, just like retail investors. So why do you choose to go into B2B instead of a B2C concept? Sure. Um, uh, B2C is way too hard for me. So I spent 20 years doing B2C. So I've been in tech. So I'm, unfortunately, I'm old. I'm 53. Um, right. I've been in tech for about 25 years. Um, I think there's this concept that fintech started five years ago. You know, fintech started maybe 35 40 years ago, um, I started in fintech in the middle of 1990s in Hong Kong. Um, and the reason I think I didn't do B2C is I think to build a successful B2C business in finance, if you have less than $100 million of funding, you can't be profitable. Right. So I think, and the reason, and we can get into the reasons about that. And so I think B2C needs a huge amount of funding. I've done it a few times. I've been through that journey. And B2B, partly is when I met my co-founder, he wanted to do B2B. I wanted to do B2B. Uh, you talked about the idea. I didn't have an idea. I just happened to fall into this. We can discuss this. I think the biggest fallacy about startups is it's the idea. The idea is irrelevant. The idea is totally irrelevant. Uh, it's the execution that matters. Um, so, yeah, we didn't have an idea. We had a set of circumstances that brought us together. We started doing something. Every day it worked a little bit more, so we kept doing it. Right. So what we'd say is like, because you, you did mention that the idea is not as important as the execution. So what would you say is the defining factor to a successful startup? What would you say when you look at the, idea, uh, the concept and the founders and the whole team and you'll be like, hey, I think this startup will succeed. So what are those factors that you look 
Look, it's a great question. Like, it's a great like, and there's no. I think if anybody could find the exact formula for that, they'd be worth you know a lot of money. So, uh, the idea. So let's just let 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 let's score it out of a hundred, right? Right. If, let's say a hundred points would make the best startup. Right. For idea, one point, two points for me personally. I'm just talking about how I feel. Yeah, what at the most five five points out of a hundred for the idea. Um, 30, 40, 50, 60 points for the for the team and the people, founders, right people. Uh, I would say 20 points, the ability to sell your idea. Right. And this is going to sound really weird. A hundred points for luck. I know that adds up more than, to more than a hundred, but luck is such a massive, massive part. I hear so many people think about idea, um, business plans, strategy. They are all. Uh, they are all. Uh, in my mind, they're all just myths. Right. Bunch of the right people with lucky timing, with a few lucky right decisions, and things will happen. You can have a, an amazing team with an amazing idea, but the wrong time doesn't happen. One thing, the one thing you can't have, you can't have a, a bad, you can't have a group of people who don't get on. Because even if you have a group of people who, who don't really gel, if you give a, peop- a group of people who don't gel a good idea at the right time, and lots of money, they'll still mess it up. Right. But if you get a group of people who really like each other, who have good energy, you can give them an average idea with average timing, with average money, and they will work. So great people who like each other. Not great people who don't like each other. Great people who like each other. And give them some lucky timing, enough money, it will work. For sure. So like, I would like to really dive into this whole people expect that we are talking about. So... How long to uh when you first start Bamboo, they decided that hey, I need to make my first hire, and what were the qualities they look for to be exact? Because I understand that a lot of like startups or like early companies um tend to be very cash strapped in nature, and as such, like it's very hard to decide oh how much I'm gonna pay my first hire, and like the first hire normally is very important because it tend to decide how the company grow because like that's like where you are gonna allocate a substantial amount of your resources uh for your startup. So how do you decide? Yeah, it's a great question. I love talking about this stuff because to me, uh, the people is everything. So uh, number one, attitude. Don't worry about experience. Don't pay for superstars. Find the person who shares the same values you do. So for me, positive. Positivity, good attitude. You know, I, I like these kind of four H's. Humor. Humility, hustle, humbleness. If somebody can be all of that, right? Don't take yourself too seriously. Like most startups aren't changing the world. Don't be too big headed. Uh, hustle, you know, really keep trying things. So we, as we've never gone out to hire these top people from top companies, right? You know, you get this idea, you've got to go to the top consultants or the top banks, hire the best people. Don't do that. Don't do that. And there's really great people there, but they're really expensive, right? So I I have a real belief that 
when you're a startup and you're growing, right? First of all, you've got either one founder or two founders, right? So they're the key people who start, right? right? But then the next people you hire, only hire them if it feels right in your, in, 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 you know, when you meet someone, right. you just get, you get a feeling you really like them, right? You get that gut feeling, right? You're like, this is a good person, right? Yeah, that's what you have. Don't override that. Never, even if the person is the most experienced person with huge, you know, they've built everything, they've been amazing. But if when you meet them, you don't have that chemistry, don't hire them. So more important than money. Yes, money is important. But don't hire superstars to start with. Hire people who are looking to, to learn. Hire people who you, who you know right away you can get on with. And then work out what your own values. I don't like this word values, but, you know, work out who you are. Uh, and try to hire people you think that you will get on with. If you do that, that's the right thing to do. Right. I think that have been very insightful because I think a lot of founders struggle with who to hire, especially for the first hire. So I would say from what it sounds like, from what you mentioned earlier, it sounds a bit like there's a bit of a luck element to it. Um, as you mentioned, like how you need to meet the right person, you have to have the gut feeling in your, your uh, you have the gut feeling that, that they are the right people that will gel with you. So is there a way that you would say you could reverse engineer luck? For example, uh, one example would be like go to trade shows and make and meet new people. Who knows, maybe you get to find one or two good people. So like, are there any ways that you feel you can sort of reverse engineer this whole luck factor to sort of like make yourself have more chance to succeed? Yeah. That's a great question. I love this idea of reverse engineering luck. Yes, there's a famous phrase that says, the harder I work, the luckier I get. So interview 100 people, right? Interview 1,000 people. I mean, we can come on to sales. So in essence, I'm a salesperson, right? Uh, as uh, sales, then, um, sorry, as sales, um, the biggest mistake most people make whether it comes to hiring people, raising money, or doing sales, or excuse me, of, yeah, of selling, of, of getting revenue for their startup, and this is relevant to your reverse engineering luck. I meet a lot of founders who say, I couldn't raise money, or I couldn't find the right talent, or nobody wanted to buy what I made. And I say to them, how many VCs did you meet? How many people did you interview? And how many people did you call on to buy your product? And they say, 10, 20, 30. And I'm like, pun, if you haven't called 100 VCs or interviewed 100 or 200 or 500 people, and if you haven't called 1,000 banks, then uh, if you haven't called a thousand banks, then you haven't tried. So to your to your point about reverse engineering luck, um, I think most people give up way too early. Like I seriously, I meet people who have called 50 VCs and they think that's a lot. Like, honestly, this is the single biggest, personally I feel, and really actually it's exactly what you said, reverse engineering luck. The amount of people who call 50 VCs get 50 no's, and then I like, oh, you know, nobody, it's hard, I get it, nobody likes 50 no's. But if you've called a 1,000 VCs and they all said no, you know what, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. I think most people just give up too early. So, yeah, interview, go to every trade show to be 
go on digital media, talk to everybody. Oh, the other thing about hiring your first person, never care about their education, never care about their experience. I see startup founders who put, I'm looking for somebody with an MBA. I'm looking for somebody with 10 year experience. To me, the minute you do that, it's over. It's over. You're not going to find the right person. If you're already categorizing the type of person, you know, there's lots of great people without MBAs. There's lots of great people without 10 years experience. There's lots of great people with MBAs and with 10 years experience. But I think too many people, like, yeah, that's the biggest problem. Right. But I would like to... um I think I just want to go a bit deeper into that because like you did mention that like you do not need an MBA or you do not need like 10 years of experience. But at the same time, uh, Bamboo is a fintech startup and I would say, wouldn't like fintech require specialized knowledge or like, no? Uh, no, no. So this is the interesting piece. So, so maybe I'll ask you a question. Um, if you want to build something new, so, okay, um, let me think. Uh, so let's say you uh, you could drive a car, right? And if you know how to drive a car, right, you would think, okay, if I want to build a new, cool new car, or if you know how to build cars, you need somebody who knows how to build a car. But let's look at Elon Musk. Elon Musk doesn't know anything about cars, and the cars he's built are the coolest cars ever. Right. If you want to build a great fintech or a great company, go hire people who've never done it, and they will build something new. If you hire people who've already done it, they're just going to build the same things as they've done before. So right. I'm not saying people with experience are bad or wrong or whatever. My point is that too many startups only narrow their search to people with experience. But at Bamboo, so we're a software company. We build digital wealth savings tools. And I think I'm going to say... Not a single person in this company, including me, has ever done what Bamboo does before. Right. None of us. <laughs> if I could just uh, just oh. like clarify, right. So you would say that people who are new to the industry or who have not had specialized knowledge or background in the industry tend to come up with more innovative solutions, which would then help to drive your startup. Would that, would that be accurate? Yeah. I would also say... Remember the first time you tried anything new, it was way more fun than doing the same thing time yeah, and again. Sure. So I think you get a more motivated set of people. You know, look, if I need developers, so we design and build, you know, applications. So if I'm looking for a back-end engineer, sure, I want to know that they can code, they know Java. You want to know they've got certain skills, but they don't need to know fintech. They don't need to know wealth. Sure, you know, we have people who know finance. We have people who know tech. We have people with skills but we don't need to have people who know exactly what bamboo does. You know, they can have relevant pieces. Yes, they know AI. Yes, they know, you know, Python or Java. Yes, they know portfolio management. Yes, they know digital marketing, but they don't need to know our exact piece of it. And what what we found at Bamboo is we've managed to put together a group of people who are excited because they're building something new. They are, you know, overall, you know, younger team. Um, And because at Bamboo, we've always had this idea that, you know, we all sit in one room, everyone's ideas count for the same. I know it sounds cliched. We try not to have departments and hierarchy and strategy. You know, this is the biggest fallacy. 
you know, you know, if you ask a startup, what's your business plan? I guarantee you, anybody's business plan looks different, not only in five years' time, but every day. Every day you build something new. So I think if you get a group of people with relevant but not exact experience, put them together and give them the freedom to build something that they really want to build and they believe in, you will have a much better outcome. Right. So I think so far, our podcasts have been very focused on people and the bamboo business in general. Let's move a bit into investors and investor impact. How big of an impact do you feel an investor have on a business and its operations? For founders breaking into fintech, will it be an immediate priority to get investors and to fundraise? You know, the gr- well, that's a, another good question. So many people celebrate... So at Bamboo, we've raised $15 million, one five, 15 million US. And every time we raise money, people congratulate us. And, you know, that's, we're very grateful for our investors investing in us. And we're very grateful that it's helped our business. The best startups, if you could build a startup that was profitable from day one, surely that would be amazing, right? right. So fundraising is a necessary tool for many companies. It's probably not the number one way to build a startup, but the number one way to build a startup is create a product that is cash flow positive from day one. The problem is that's really hard. It's really hard to do. So you go and get investors. Um, I think there's so let's let let's assume that you know Bamboo is in the 99% of startups that can't be profitable from day one. Okay, so we need to get investors. I think there's way too much kind of bashing of investors people going oh you know vcs it's hard to get them and all this type of stuff investors are incredibly important the money they bring is incredibly important but the bit that's not talked about is this it's your relationship with your investor more than the money they bring which is the number one factor the number one factor is only take money from investors that you really have a great connection with because there is nothing harder both for the investor and for the startup if the money you get is from somebody that you don't get on with, you don't have chemistry with, that you struggle to work together because that is the hardest thing. You know, money, you can always raise money. Seriously, it's always possible to raise money. But the number one thing you want to do, raise money, from cool people that you get on with. And that's what's critical because your question was, how important is it to the business and operations? If they're investors that have a good connection with you, it's that it's all good. If you have investors that you don't have a good connection with and are always questioning what you're doing, how you're running the business, what your operations are, then it's going to have a massive, massive effect on you and generally not positively right i have a question to that actually so let me give you a choice now let me let me give you a scenario okay let's say one investor um maybe it's a institutional investor or it's a large investor and he can give you a lot of funding so like let, let's just put an arbitrary number to it let's say like a hundred million dollars he can give yep. you that much but he has this specific direction that he wants to bring your company to which is i want you to ipo or um 
And, th- and I want to do it within five years. And I'm giving you this amount of money to do it versus a smaller VC. Um, maybe they can only offer you like 10 to $20 million. But he gives you free reign to a, however he, like, you want to run your business. And like, he doesn't really give you much direction. He just say, I, I have faith in you and uh, you have great rapport with him. Which one would you choose and, and why? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so with the information you've given me, obviously you choose the 10 to 20 million, not the 100 million, right? Uh, the, so, and the reason why, so far we've learned at Bamboo that having investors that you have a great rapport with, that give you the freedom, as a founder, one of the great things you have is freedom. When people work at corporates, they often complain that they're not able to do what they want to do. Right. As a startup, you want to be able to go in the in the direction you believe in. So all things, if I take the information you, you gave me, a hundred million dollars taking you in a direction that perhaps you don't want to go and that it's not exactly what you want, versus 10 to 20 million from a VC that you have really good rapport with and will leave you to do the direction, you take the 10 to 20 million. The only reason you take the 100 million is if you, if the direction they want to go is what you want to do, right. and you have great rapport, of course you take the 100. But if the 100 comes with, and I'll be honest, we had it you know, previously at Bamboo, we have had offers of money from people who wanted us to go in a different direction, to do different stuff, put money on the table, we didn't take it. Our current investors, we love them. They're amazing. We've had a great relationship with them. So, yeah. The, the investor relationship and the terms of the deal is more important than the valuation or the size of the ticket. Right. So, I think which is the relationship and rapport with the investors. But what about the connections that the investors bring? For example, uh, some startups, they might have strategic investors that the only reason why they uh, take funding from these investors is because they want the access to the other portfolio companies in the, in the investor as well. Would you say that that is as important as your rapport with the investors? Nothing's more important than your rapport with your investors. That is right. number one. But number two, strategic investors are great. Yeah. You know, so really break it down, right? There's strategic investors and financial investors. Right. Of course, every investor ultimately, you know, wants to get a financial return. But so we have a strategic investor at Bamboo, Franklin Templeton, one of the world's largest asset managers. And it's been great because strategically, you know, they're an asset manager and want to digitize wealth. We digitize wealth. So Strategic investors, very important, big help. But I think people overthink the fundraising too much. You've got to go out there with a really open mind. You've got to go out there and talk to everybody. Family offices, VCs, strategic, angels, they're all just people, you know? They're all just people who want to get invest in a certain sector for different reasons. And you've got to go and pitch, as I said at the, you know, 10 minutes ago, too many people spend hours drawing up a list of who they might talk to. And they take the list of 100 and they take it down to 50, 20, and they're like, these 10 are one I'm going to target. Why don't they just stop thinking and target 100? Like, call 100 people, send 100 emails. And I think there's way too much done about trying to put names on people who give you money, angels, strategics, 
VCs. I think there's too much emphasis put on that. But I think there's not enough emphasis put on, can you find that right partner, whoever they may be? And excuse me, can they, do they have the right relationship? Are they going in the same direction? And of course you need capital, but you know, so we have an, we have angels investors, we have family office investors, we have VCs, financial VCs, and we have strategic. So we have across all. It's all been good. Right. So um, I think one thing that I really want to ask you is, if let's say you're going to restart Bamboo, and like let's, let's go back oh, a bit to when you first started Bamboo, right? What is the first and most important thing you would do when you first start your startup? That you feel, or maybe in hindsight, what, what do you think you should have done? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, what is the first thing I would have done? Well, one of the weird things we did was uh, I spent way too long trying to figure out the name of the company. So this is, this is maybe just a small thing. We changed the name of the company three times. So number one, I wouldn't have wasted. I wasted four months. Seriously, true story. I wasted four months and I changed the name of the company three times. So I probably would have tried not to waste that. But I would have also, I think, just had more confidence in my own, in, in the direction that I'm going, right? So it's really easy to be, you come up with an idea and people tell you it's the wrong idea. 20 people, no, wrong idea. So we, I think I would have had more confidence that we were doing the right thing earlier. Um, I also, one thing that we did right, so slightly different answer to your question, way too many companies do, in my opinion, market research, market survey. You know, look, if you have a startup idea, right? And you ask 10 of your friends, is it a good idea? What are they going to say? They're going to say yes, because they're your friends, right? right? So next step is you ask 10 random people, is it a good idea? And now half people will say yes, half will say no, but really it doesn't matter. You have an idea, go into the street and get 10 people to give you money for your idea. Literally give you $10. And if you ask 10 people and they all give you $10, it's a great idea. And the best thing we did at Bamboo was when we started the company, we built no tech, we did no market research, we did no market surveys, we didn't validate our idea. I went out and pitched hundreds of banks and said, I'll build you this if you give me money. And they're like, what tech do you have? I'm like, nothing, no tech, we've done nothing. I need you to give me money and I'll build it for you. And we pitched masses and then someone said, yeah, sure, I'll give you money to build it. And that's the key thing I think we did do right. We didn't hire people. We didn't build anything. We didn't do anything until someone signed a contract. Right. That's the one thing that I would do exactly the same again. The only difference was it took us six months to do that. I'd try and do that in the first month. Right. Okay, that is actually very super interesting because I think um, a lot of like founders it might be more... Uh, might be trying to get like product validation through like market research, like what you mentioned, and you think that that's not the right way to go because you feel that if let's say you get people to pay you money for your idea and people are willing to pay you money, that means they actually believe in that idea. Would that would that be what you're trying to say? 
Absolutely. Like, so, and, and one thing I would say, I'm a sales guy, right? I've learned everything from sale in terms of sales, right? And, and I'm not, <laughs> I have a strong feeling about market surveys, market, I, 100% nobody agrees with me, and there's a lot of value in it. But in terms of a startup, in terms of a startup, it is crucial that you don't, again, your friends are going to tell you your ideas are great ideas, right? Right. All your friends, right? Correct. So, so look, here's an idea. Like, here's an analogy, right? So I'm going to tell you a joke, right? Okay, so uh, why did the chicken cross the road to get to, to get to the other side? You're like, okay. Now, here's, I have a startup. My startup is telling jokes. Will you give me $10 right now for me to tell you another joke? Ah, uh, I see. Um, maybe not, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there you go. My joke wasn't good enough. If I said, I have another joke, would you like to hear it? And I tell you another joke, and I would say, what did you think of the other joke? And you'll go... Oh, it's okay. You know, you don't want to insult me. You're like, it's okay. But if I said right now, pay now me $10 for another joke, you're not going to send me $10, are you? Because my joke was pretty poor, right? Yes. But let's say my joke was incredibly funny. And I said, pay me $1 and I'll give you a month worth of jokes that are amazing. And you can tell all your friends and you are like, well, that's a good deal. Send me the dollar. Without the dollar, without the ten dollars, it's not an idea. It's not a, to me as a sales guy. Validation of money is everything, right? right? Everything. And I do think too many startups waste time thinking. Again, look, my co-founder, who is absolutely amazing, he is everything different from me. He is thoughtful. He's a thinker. He's tech, he's organized, he's, he does everything I can't do. Uh, so he thinks about ideas. I don't like to think. I know it seems crazy. I'm not a big fan of thinking. I'm a fan of just doing stuff. It means I do a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, you know, me, me and my co-founder, Aki, are super, super lucky that we're so different. It works so well together. So I'm not saying nobody should do market research, but I think too many startups spend way too long trying to validate an idea but if you're validating it without money, it's not a good idea. To me, it's a waste of time. For sure. So let's go a bit to the other side of the coin because just now I asked you, what do you do right and what will you have done? What was the biggest struggle that you face in running Bamboo so far? And what do you do to overcome it? Or if let's say it's a, uh, what are the lessons that you learned from it? Yeah. Sure. So, so many founders will tell you uh, that you know, it's incredibly hard to run a startup, right? It's a massive struggle. It's a huge challenge. I've been so lucky. This has been the greatest job I've ever had. I absolutely love it with all of my heart. It's, you know, we super cool people, super lucky timing, uh, super great co-founder, great investors. But what did we do wrong? What could, what, what's been the hardest challenge? Exactly the problem statement I just told you. We should have made our business model more scalable from the beginning. So we built software. The best way to deliver software is not to customize it at all and make the same customer buy exactly the same thing every time. 
And when we started, like a lot of startups in B2B software, when a client says, can you customize it a little bit for me? You say yes, because you want a deal, right? You know, you want a deal. You, you change it a little bit, you know? And we got some big names. You know, we've had Standard Chartered, you know, uh, work with us. We've had some, some of the world's, Franklin Templeton, we've had some of the world's biggest banks build with us. But what you find that you do when you're a small startup is when you get a big deal and they ask to customize it a bit for good reason, you say yes, because you want to make it a bit different. And while that gets you short-term revenue, long-term in software, you want to have a scalable product that everybody buys the same thing, right? Right. Like an iPhone now. You don't go to Apple and go, oh, yeah, I want an iPhone, but can you just customize it a little bit for me? You buy the iPhone. Your iPhone and my iPhone, when you get it home, you can put your do what you like with it. But, of course, Apple's been amazing hardware. They've done everything, right? So the biggest mistake most software companies make when you're small is you're willing to customize all these little bits to get deals. I think it's kind of unavoidable. Now we have a very scalable product called Bamboo Go, which is, you know, most customers buy the same version and we still have Bamboo Build, which is our customized version. But yeah, if we could have made a more scalable version day one, we would have, but again, incredibly hard to do that. Right. Okay, so do you feel like most founders neglect the scalability of it at the start then? Yeah. And because they don't neglect it, it's just really hard, right? It's really hard to build a, a software that everybody wants the same version, right? It's really hard to do that, right? Again, look, I'm not a gamer. I don't know much about games. Uh, I think half of my staff, if they listen to this podcast and hear me talking about games, will be, oh, no, Ned knows nothing about games. But... The great games, Fortnite, League of Legends, Dota, CSGO, for every one great game where everybody plays the same game, there's 10,000 games that didn't catch on, right? Right. There's 10,000 games that people didn't want to play because it wasn't exactly the right version. And I think for so much technology, it's incredibly hard to build the exact right version that everybody wants day one. So I don't think people neglect it. It's just really hard and it takes multiple iterations so whether it's savings apps you know iphones or games for every one version that everybody agrees this is the perfect version there's 9999 versions that didn't make it right and that's just that's startup reality right we all try it's a bit like sports right you know the great tennis players the great golfers the great football players there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who, who did it really, 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 really well. But getting to the very top, that's hard. And yeah, it takes time, mistakes, experience, learning. Same for every startup. Right. I see, I see. What about overseas expansions? So like, I think one, another problem that a lot of startups might face is they do not know when to scale overseas or like when to move out of Singapore or like, uh, to another market. And did you have any struggles with that? Uh, no, we didn't have any struggle. And we're already global. So we've had clients in Brazil, America, France, UK, Middle East, pretty much every Asian country. 
Why? Because we didn't have a strategy. So we don't have a strategy, which might sound crazy. I think too many startups actually put back to, let's turn the question on the head. Why wouldn't you go global? What's a good reason not to go global? Now, people will tell you focus. Fair enough. Understood. But I think too many people think, why should, why don't I go global, right? So we immediately recognized that we design and build savings apps and we deliver them on, you know, cloud providers, AWS, Google, Azure. And if you're coding and delivering to a cloud environment, why do geographical borders matter? And I think, you know, if you run a coffee shop in Singapore, clearly you're not going to launch a coffee shop the next day in New York, right? Physical. But we design and build digital applications for, you know, financial institutions. So why wouldn't we do one in the US, in Brazil? I think another problem is too many people spend too long with a strategy. Okay, my strategy is just Singapore. Then my strategy is you know, Southeast Asia, then my strategy is all of Asia, then my strategy is global. You know, why wouldn't they just start with my strategy is global? Right. Okay. I think people start with limiters. Why not start with everything? And, you know, yes, I understand focus. Yes, I understand there's different reasons not to. I just think way too many people spend way too long thinking, here's the 10 VCs I'll target, here's the country I'm in, here's what I'll do. You know, look, Bamboo, we're very clear. We design and build applications that help people save and invest. We don't do blockchain. We don't do, you know, uh, wallets. We don't do anything else. We just do digital wealth. We design, build, deliver digital wealth tools. But why wouldn't that be global? And why and we do any segment? So we design and build for mass retail, mass affluent, high net worth. We don't mind if it's a big bank, a small bank. We don't mind if it's a a disruptor like a you know a grab a gojek who are getting into wealth so i think the i think the biggest problem with startups is a narrative the narrative is always choose a market choose a choose a segment choose a type of investor choose a client segment and look i'm sure there's good reasons for that but i also think it's a limiter just change the narrative in your head stop putting limits on it Go global and then find, you know, if it doesn't work, then scale back. Right. So do first, go try to go as big as you can. Yes. And if let's say you feel that there are certain markets that are not working out, then you can pull back from those markets and focus on the markets that are working better for you. Yeah. Like you don't have to go to America to crack. Look, it's super hard to crack a new market, but... You know, Singapore, I've lived in Singapore for 18 years. I love living here. It's amazing. But, you know, it, we have six, seven million people, right? And if you have a digital fintech tool, you know, it's super hard to compete and grow with a fintech app in China, India, America, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia. So why not compete with them? Is it harder to compete with an application in those countries because you don't have market domain knowledge? Absolutely. Is it impossible? Absolutely not. It's doable. Like we have clients in Indonesia. We have clients in America. We have clients in the Middle East. You know, we're serving big global markets. It's doable. The only limiter is your own, your own expectations. Right. Okay. 
that that's very different than the narrative out there I feel and I think it's a it's a very interesting perspective because a lot of um what how I would imagine if I was starting a startup I would be like let me focus on what I'm good at first, which is Singapore, because I have a uh, better knowledge of like the demographic in Singapore. And then I'll move on to Southeast Asia because they are pretty similar to us. And after I'll move on to like, I'll slowly get bigger. But I think your top-down approach, it's a lot better because it, it, it comes back to scalability, like what you mentioned. And I think that it, by aiming to go global, you make your product very scalable. And I think that that is like a very unique perspective and approach to it. So, but I, I do have a question though. How do you, let's say, if let's say you're expanding overseas, right? Um, different countries have different cultures and different ways of doing business. Like I would imagine people doing business in China will be vastly different from people doing business in America or in the UK. So how do you juggle all of that with, uh, with just being a startup and not having like, large amount of manpower? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, and is it hard to do business in different countries? Absolutely. But it's not impossible. And here's, so here's, you know, the one thing that works every time in every country, in every language, a smile, a positive attitude, and politeness. Even if you're doing it digitally. So let's say you want to crack America. And let's say you have a fintech app. Doesn't matter what it does. Wealth, a wallet, blockchain, doesn't matter. And let's say you sell your service, say it's B2B, and you sell it to banks. Right. So totally agreed. American way of doing business is very different, right? But let's say there's, and there's a lot of banks in America. There's 5,000, right? But we know because we've done this. You can find the list of the 5,000 banks in America online. It takes about an hour of research. You can then spend a little bit of money to get the contact details of the CEO, head of digital, or the relevant person that you need to. So that's a few hundred dollars and a couple of days' work. You can then craft an incredibly polite, upbeat, positive message. Hey, I'm from ABC FinTech in Singapore. We have huge respect for what you've done. We have a service that we believe can help you to get more customers and to increase your revenue. We have a very short explanatory video here that takes 30 seconds of your time. Your time. You know, you sign off saying, you know, uh, thank you so much. and We hope you have a fantastic day. You uh, code a small bot that will send that 5,000 messages out at the right time with the right message. That's not hard. That's a week's work. And then you've cracked America. And I guarantee you, it's really simple. If 5,000 people all say no, don't do America. It's really simple. It's incredibly clear. If five out of the 5,000 people, 50 people, so only 50 people have interest, they say, hey, this is great. That's really good response. And of that 50 people you speak to, 10 are interested to buy it, and one buys it, you've cracked America. That wasn't that hard, was it? That really wasn't that hard. And even it's culturally different. So I have a great, my, I have a phrase, relentless positivity. Always be polite, always come with a smile, always be polite. I don't care what your culture, what your language, if you are polite, and positive, 
in front of them, nobody gets upset. Yes, you might be a spammer or whatever. Be polite, be positive. Uh, and if they say no, say thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Don't hassle them. And you can do that in every country in the world. And you'll soon know which country likes what you do and which country doesn't. Right. It's that simple. Right. Okay, that, that's another interesting insight I learned today, actually. So I, I believe that wow, that is a very like viable and unique approach. Uh, do you feel like Bamboo is resilient to global events? Let's talk about like COVID, I think, uh, which is uh, something that is ongoing right now and all the work from home measures, etc. Do you feel like it heavily disrupted your operations? And if so, what are you doing to pivot through these tough times or these uncertain times? Sure. Um, so... Uh, Nobody likes COVID, right? COVID's been a huge disruption to the world. But we are in a we're in a unique, not a unique, but we're in a position that we've been able to, to, to we've been lucky that we don't have to pivot. We keep doing what we're doing. And indeed, we've never seen as many inquiries. So there's two, there's two parts of it. Yes, we're all working from home, but bamboo. So we were we worked for, like every startup, everyone believes that culture is more important than strategy. We have one of the lowest turnovers in the industry. We were Singapore FinTech Employer of the Year. So the Singapore FinTech Association and the Ministry of Manpower gave us Employer of the Year. We, we have a really big, everybody at Bamboo has options. Everybody at Bamboo is, you know, we hear everybody's ideas. We really believe we have a really, you know, we have a pretty tight bond with everybody there. So when we're all made to work from home, we still have a range of stuff we do together every day. And so because we know each other super well, we've been able to work from home. We've been able to increase efficiency. We've been able to deliver more. While we'll miss being together, it has not disrupted our working patterns. So we've been able to deliver projects and products faster. Secondly is we design and build apps that help people save and invest and also help advisors, financial advisors, give better advice. Now, every bank cannot meet clients anymore. Every bank needs more digital tools. So we have ne- we've seen a doubling, if not tripling, of incoming inquiries from banks needing our services. So we've never been busier. We've never had more inquiries. We've never worked harder. We miss being together, but we have not had to pivot. We 100%, we do the same stuff. 100%, it's validated that what we do, making, saving, and investing digital is the right thing. And we've never seen more inquiries. And, you know, yes, the COVID is incredibly hard for everybody, and it's been a huge change, but for a small digital business like us who have a pretty tight bond uh, 100% we do the same stuff we just do it from home and we've had a double or tripling of inquiries right so what do you think of um, because I I feel like there are a lot of companies that are like quite new to this work from home uh, and the and a lot of employees also find it hard to, to have the work-life balance especially when they're at home so as, let's say as a founder or as the um the CEO of Bamboo, right? How do you promote work-life balance or how do you promote like your staff to, hey, take some time off? 
would, would that be something that you look into? Uh, no, because uh, yes and no. 100% yes, 100% no. So that sounds confusing. So um, Steve Jobs, so I'm more of a Jack Ma fan than a Steve Jobs fan. I don't think Steve Jobs from, I don't know him, uh, but uh, read his books. Um, he doesn't seem, he seemed like quite a tough guy to work for, right? But he did say one thing that I really believe in. Only employ people that you 100% trust and 100% believe in. And when you employ them, let them do whatever they like. Right. So it's not my job to tell people what to do, really. It's my job to make people believe 100% in themselves and in bamboo. And then they'll know the right amount of time to work and the right amount of work-life balance. Right. So what do we do to encourage people to believe? So, you know, you know, you get this idea of town hall meetings or the boss talking to everybody. Right. We've done that every Monday since we started. Like that's a once a week thing. We do, we did a meditation every day so people can come and meditate. We do a little random prize draw every day. Um, all the time I'm trying to reach out and message everybody. Uh, we have a weekly quiz we all do together. We have daily stand-ups we all do together. Anybody can call me at any time. I send a message to the whole company every day. Um, like you've got you've to make people feel they belong genuinely. It's got to be real. Like, like these ideas of, you know, bamboo cares. Like you don't say that, you do it, right? You show to everybody. Like at Bamboo, I don't care what. So even when we had, we were all in the office, come to work when you like, go home when you like. Like, you know, work when you feel it's right. Like this idea that the boss sets, oh, come at nine. Uh, please stop work at six because you're tired. Everybody should know. We trust people 100%. People should work when they feel good. People should stop when they don't. People should not feel that the, they have to, you know, they're worried about, oh, the boss knows they are working or they're not. Like I, I the biggest thing I'm super passionate about is people and I think just there's way too much this idea that the boss should tell people what to do. Like we as Bamboo should set the frequency, the feeling, the, the culture, the idea that if you come to Bamboo, so here's, here's, here's a simple thing. So nobody pays you to go to the movies, right? right. Nobody pays you to go on holiday. Why? Because you like going to the movies and you like going on holiday, so you pay. But why do you get paid to go to work? You get paid to go to work because it sucks, right? That's the narrative. That's the corporate narrative, right? You get paid to go to work because it sucks. But imagine this. Imagine it was as much fun to go to work as it was to go on holiday or the movies. And then people paid you to go to work. Wouldn't that be crazy, right? And I'm right. not pretending that bamboo's as much fun as going to the movies or as going on holiday, but that's my goal. My goal as a boss is that you actually want to come to work and you get paid. Now, I'm not naive. Bamboo is not as much fun as going on holiday or being going to the movies, but it doesn't have to suck. I think there's this narrative that work sucks and the only reason you go is to get paid. My job as a boss is to make work not suck, is to make you want to be there. And then work-life balance, like even the question is a weird, like I get why you ask it, I understand it. It is the narrative. 
work sucks, so you get paid. But how about this? How about work's amazing? And you do it because you love it. Hey, and you get paid. And then the question of work-life balance disappears. Right. It's a weird it's a weird narrative to me. So my job is to make that whole narrative disappear. Right. I'd like to wrap up this whole discussion and interview with just one last question. So if there's one advice, I think we talked about this slightly earlier, but if there's one advice that you can give to all aspiring startup founders that you feel is the one thing that they should keep in mind every time they struggle, every time they feel like giving up or they feel like that idea is not working out or they want to like move out of being a startup founder, what would it be and why? Relentless positivity. And don't take it personally. When a VC says your idea sucks, they're not saying you suck. It's not you. It's your idea doesn't fit them in this time or this place. So whenever you're feeling down, you can't raise money, you're not getting traction, you're not getting ideas, it's not you personally, right? It's either, yes, your idea might not work, or it might not be the right time for that other person, or you need to tweak it. But I guarantee you this, being a startup founder is better than working in a corporate job you don't like. So always remember that. At the end of every day, you will look back, even if you're, I've had failed startups, I've got it wrong before, I have no idea if I'm doing it right now. But I guarantee you this, uh, running your own startup, even if it doesn't work, you ask every founder at the end, would you do it again? Yes, in a heartbeat. Remember that. When it's hard, it's still 100 times better than a sucky corporate job. Right. Thank you so much, Ned, for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. And honestly, I feel that I learned a lot because I feel like there are a lot of interesting insights that you bring to the table. And I really appreciate you for taking time off to talk to me. So thank you. No, look, I really I really appreciate it. I love the startup world. And honestly, for everyone out there, have a go. Keep smiling. If the first one doesn't work, the second one will. Right. Thank you. We have come to the end of this episode. I hope that this has been an insightful learning experience for you. Do follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts to catch future episodes. Till then, take care.